You ever wondered why we're more intrigued by can't than can? Why we have to know what we don't know, experience what we haven't experienced, and have been told we can't. Um, we just want to want to see what's behind the curtain of can't, don't we? Uh, this this daughter that's here today, you could tell her, don't go, don't step over that line, don't don't check, and she wouldn't step over the line usually. The other daughter, looking back at, don't, no. Why is it that can't what we can't have intrigues us more than what we have? more than what we see, more than what we can get our hands on and experience. But that's true of, of human nature, I think, for most of us. We want to, we want to know what's behind the curtain, if, if Oz is really real. Uh, if, if, that's, if that is unattainable, why, is it unatta- why, why can't I have it? Why is, that, why is that not for me? Why is that forbidden fruit for me? And that's where we find ourselves today in Genesis. If you want to turn to chapter 3, that's where we're going to be, spend the bulk of our time today. Uh, looking at this story of, of Adam and Eve and uh, the fact that what they couldn't have and told, was told that wasn't allowed for them was the very thing they pursued. And in, in doing so, dropped the ball, not only for them, but for the rest of us to come. Uh, as we conclude this, this series that we've been looking at this month on drop balls, what happens when we drop the ball, and all of our oops moments in life uh, that sometimes come back to haunt us, we started with looking at Peter and his dropped ball of denial, looking at Jonah and his dropped ball of disobedience, looking at Jacob and his drop, dropped ball of, of deception. We looked last week at Ananias and Sapphira and their dropped balls of, of uh, disclosure and, and why, why it was that in each one of these situations, God wanted to, and in most cases did, use something redemptive in, our, in their drop balls, and we'll do the same thing for us and, and, and in our lives as well. So let's look at this text together, uh, Genesis 3, verses 1 to 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made and said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from from fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows when you eat of that, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes, and and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then both the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put me here, or put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. Looking at their their dropped ball here today, I want us to see four things. One is this the dropped balls often begin with deception. 
They often begin with deception. Look at verses 4 and 5 with me again. It says here, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat, eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Your eyes will be opened, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. In essence, the enemy is saying, how dare there be a hierarchy and you be the low man on the totem pole? Where'd that concept come from? So he tries to sow in to Eve here the fact that she can know what God knows and see and experience what God sees, but she's got to break down this hierarchy that's in place to do that. She's got to believe that she is on par and equal with the authority of God. That's a dangerous place for you and I to get in our lives, to see us on, on equal uh, playing field with the Lord and, and equal in authority with him. Uh, and Satan deals with each of us uniquely because he knows how we're wired. He knows which buttons to push with us and with you to, to get your attention quickly and and. and he knows which angles to work at. He's, he's crafty that way, and he knows you. But I would submit to you there are two things that are common among each of us, and I want you to see these out of this first point. The first thing that I think the enemy does that's common with each of us is he always uses the element of entitlement with us. He always wants us to think, you deserve this. After all, you've worked hard for that. You're as smart as she is. You're as good-looking as she is. You're as, you're as together as he is. You've got as much going on on the ball as they do. Why, do you, why are you deprived? Why are you somehow a second-tier servant here to, to what's going on? He wants us to see that we deserve what we don't and are entitled to what we don't have. He works that way all the time. He's worked that way from creation, and he works that way uh, today for us as well. The second thing is he will never use the Scripture as it is. Now, he'll, he'll seldom use it, period. But when he does get brave enough to use it, he uses it in, in, a, in a distorted way. In, in a way that deceives us into thinking, you know, I can cherry pick a word here, I can cherry pick a phrase here, I can cherry pick a, and I put together a doctrine that, that never existed before the enemy started cherry picking the scripture. He does that oftentimes if, and it, please don't hear judgment in, in what I'm about to say, but if, if God uses distorted scripture with you, it's often because you don't know it. You don't know what the Bible says about this. So, He's playing on the fact that I'm biblically ignorant of this, of, of these truths and this fact. So, gee, that, I, I have heard part of that verse somewhere, and I've heard part of this verse somewhere. And so sooner or later I'm putting, to get, putting together a belief system that never existed before. The enemy started weaving together these, these nuggets and, 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 and points of confusion for us to say, maybe the Bible does actually say that. Uh, and there, there, there's been a number of say, sayings over the years of the people have uttered, that, are, that they think are scriptural, but have never been in scripture. And all, every bit of that comes from the enemy. He never deals with the scripture accurately. In fact, he knows it's the weapon against him. We can look at the Lord Jesus in the, in the wilderness and every temptation that he came, uh, that the enemy came at Jesus with, the Lord spouted scripture back to him. It, it is written. It is written. It is written. He knows the vehicle to defeat the enemy is the word of God. And the enemy knows that too, but he'll always distort it if he, if he uses it at all with us. Uh, he does that because he wants us to believe that all truth is situational. The truth is circumstantial. It is defined in the moment for the moment. And the scripture teaches us that all truth is not situational, that all truth is absolute. There are absolute truths in this book. I drop this water. It's as absolute as gravity is as absolute as many of the truths in the scripture. And we often want to neglect and, and, and think that God will turn his head and look the other way on this one. He, he, he'll not notice that, will he? This is... He won't hold this truth accountable to me in this moment, in this situation. I had good intentions when I went in here and dropped this ball and made this mistake. My intentions were pure. 
He won't hold me accountable to that, will he? Truth is truth is truth is truth every day in every situation. We need to understand how the enemy works, and he, he will always, always try and weave his way through situations in our life. This is, this is true for you today, and, it, and it'll be true for you tomorrow. No, that's never been true if it's according to the Scripture. So he, he will always distort truth, uh, as I said, if he uses the Scripture at all, because he wants us to think that all truth is situational. You'll see that on just about every college campus in America. The truth is situational. No, truth is absolute. Circumstances are situational, but truth is always absolute. And in our search for it, we need to understand that belief and know it to be true. Um, before the deceiver shows up, Adam and Eve didn't know what they didn't know. They didn't know the fact that the knowledge of good and evil uh, was lying in the fruit of that tree. And before the enemy shows up, they have no desire to even know it. They're in naivety and are cool with it. I don't know what I don't know, and, I'm, and, and I trust the authority of God that, that that tree is sacred. I shouldn't eat from it, but I can eat from it. He put them in paradise, put them in, in, in a picture of perfection all around them. And the world was their oyster. I mean, they could have anything and everything. And it was incredible beauty, lush green. Imagine yourself in the most beautiful place. Let your mind go there, whether it's a beach scene or a mountain scene. or You place yourself in the most beautiful place you've ever been, and it's that in times 10 for them. Yet, there's that one tree of deception that the enemy uses in, 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 in their life to, to, to bring them down and draw them down and cause uh, bring about a drop ball in their life. They didn't know what they didn't know, but they fell prey to deception. And once they learned what the, to, to want to know what they didn't know, they found themselves in the hands of the enemy instead of in the hands of God. Each of us have done that. We've fallen prey to the enemy's deception in our life, probably this week, in fact. Here's the question. What have I learned from that? Have I learned anything more about how he works with me? How he, how he picks at me and pokes at me and prods at me to where over time I just give in because I, I'm tired of the fight? Have I learned the angles that he comes at me with with, with, with redefined, uh, uh, distorted, watered-down truth? Have I seen the angles? Have I seen the ways in which he works with me? When I, when I get wise to who he is, it is far easier to defend myself against his ways and his nature and his temptations and his, and his pokes and his prods and his, and his guilt-ridden ways of, of pouring, pouring acid into our, into our belief system. But he does that because he knows he can be effective at it. But when we see and understand his ways, it's far easier to take the Scripture and defend ourselves against him and, and, and to those temptations. But drop balls, first of all, often begin with deception. Secondly, drop balls begin with, with deception, but drop balls often feed what we think we want. They often feed what we think we want. Look at 6 and 7 with me. He says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband and, who was with her, and he ate it. Then, watch this, the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. It was desirable for gaining wisdom. Uh, and later it says their eyes were opened to what they didn't see and didn't know ahead of time. What Eve thought she wanted to know in verse 6, she discovers in verse 7, it wasn't at all what I thought it'd be. I don't know why I wanted this. This, this isn't all that. Now that I've partaken of the fruit and eaten of the tree and, I, and my eyes are open, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. It's in the way of, it was. 
painted to me by the deceiver that uh, this fruit was hanging out there that I, I needed to eat of and, and sherry and so that I, I'd know more. Um, and I believe the enemy comes at her intentionally because I believe, and I believe the scripture teaches this, in, in the seed of, of every woman, every woman wants to know more. There's not a woman in this room that doesn't want to know more. You, you, hear, you walk up on a conversation between a guy and a guy. And you'll hear, yeah, we went to dinner and we grabbed a movie and went on home. You hear a conversation between a woman and a woman and we went to dinner at Aubrey's and we had uh, seafood and steak and we had, and the best, the, 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 uh, what's that dish I get at Aubrey's all the time? The squash, with the, the squash was really, they just did, they were right on with the squash that night. And, uh, and then we had dessert, had some key lime pie for dessert and Every detail is filled in. Every detail is known. Every, because they want, a woman wants to paint the picture for you so that there's no questions at the end of the conversation. The, the, everything desired to be known is, is so forth known. And guys are, they can kind of come and go with that. I mean, you can give them the big, big picture of things for most guys. And I know some guys want to know detail. It depends on what it is. If it's the nature of their work and what they have to do for, for income and money, they want to know the details because they don't, they don't want to blow it and make a mistake. At the core of every woman is knowing more and experiencing more than she has. I believe that the, that the core of that need, and I've shared this together. In fact, the, the back row bunch back here that I'm, I gave more recent marriage counseling to before they were married will tell you that I went over with them. The desire of every woman is to be affirmed, that every woman desires affirmation. And what affirms me is how I stand in light of you. If I feel better about myself as a result of your circumstances, I'm more affirmed. If I don't, then I need more affirmation from my husband. I need more affirmation from my world, from, my, from what I do, from my circumstances. And at the core of every woman needing affirmation is this desire to know what I don't know so that I'll know how I stand against what I haven't experienced so far. Every man as well in this room feels like he's missed the mark in some way. When we're by ourselves at our, at our, in our alone times, there's not a man in this room that doesn't think, but what have I missed? I've missed something. I know I've blown something somewhere. What did, what did I not see that I haven't seen before? It's because every man's desire is for significance. Every man in this room wants, is born with a desire to see and experience significance. They want to matter. They want, they want to, they want to be respected. They want to be and they don't mind, most don't mind earning it, but each of us men want to feel and know and experience significance. If I know as, as a lady that I need to be affirmed, and if I know as a man that I need significance, I know in part how the enemy is going to work with me. I know in part how he's going to come at me and some of the vehicles and tools he's going to use to get my attention. And he does that here with them. Uh, as, I, as I said here, it's, it's this idea of, of what, what women need to... In fact, here's an example of what I'm talking about. There are eight Facebook users for every one female, for every one male. What does that tell you? It tells you that women want to know, how are they doing? How are they doing? And how am I doing in light of how they're doing? And so, and guys, most guys are Facebook stalkers. We look at Facebook to say, okay, she's, or he's, yeah, it's another picture of the grandkids. It's another. And so they just kind of you know, stay in the shadows, 
but just kind of observe what's going on without any comment or any, any desire for pushback or those kind of things. And those, are, those grow out of naturally who, who it's not, there's nothing evil or wrong about it, but it grows naturally out of who women are and what they need and who men are and what they need. And as I say, the enemy knows that and knows the angles uh, from which to come to us for, for those very reasons. Um, and he does that because he, 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 he works and he's a master at deception. He does that because he wants to deceive us and distort the truth from what it actually is. He convinced them that, 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 that these basic needs they have could be answered in that tree, in the fruit of that tree. And so you know the story. We just read it. She shares some, takes some and eats it, shares some with him. And, and both of them discover that it wasn't all that what they thought it would be in verse 7 and uh, that finding the, the, the real nature and core of where you are at your best is not found in something or someone. It's found in the Lord Jesus. Finding, finding and discovering God's best for us will feed us in a way that no fruit will ever feed us from. It will feed us in a way that, that no product could ever do for us. It will feed us in a way that no, no, no form of appearance or, or no possession or anything we own could ever feed us. When we find ourselves fulfilled in who he is and how he's wired us and what he wants for us and has for us, nothing can substitute for that. In fact, if it does, it's a cheap sub, sub, substitute. And so their eyes were open to the, to the reality of their own inadequacy and in finding that, found, I need God. Uh, I don't want to face him because I've done what he told me not to do, but I need him. I, I am inadequate. I'm, I'm, I'm on my best day. So it begins with deception, drop balls. Secondly, often feed what we think we want. Thirdly, drop balls usually find something or someone to blame. Look at 12 in the first part of 13 with me. He says, the man said, the woman you put, me here, uh, put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? Uh, I, I, I see in that phrase and hear in that phrase some of Adam's angst to say, well, woman, you put me here with. In fact, I almost hear that woman you put me here with is the very one that kind of led me down the path here. And so, and, and this, this, you know, and, and she... On the surface, both what he's saying is true. Uh, she said, you know, he asked her, what happened? Well, the, the serpent deceived me. And on the surface, those answers, both of those answers are correct. But as we looked at last week, God never just stays at the surface. He gets to our motive. He cuts away at what drives the decisions we make and why we want what we want and the reason that drives the why we want what we want. That's what he wants to get to. Not the decisions we make and the, and, and the, and the mistakes and things we ways we dropped the ball, but why did we want to pursue that in the first place? And so he's always getting to our motive, to the, to the deeper thought, and the knowledge that they wanted before now revealed to them their own failures, their own sin, their own inadequacy. And so they find in that uh, that they, are, they aren't what they thought they were, and they're, they're actually both to blame, Eve for the deception and Adam for not having the backbone and the spine to say, no, no, we're not doing that but I already ate some. It's okay. I'm not eating, and, and you shouldn't anymore. I mean, yes, she, des- she was deceived and, and, and lured her husband into it, but he should have enough backbone to say, no, not going there, not walking there. We should, that's something God said no to. And he dropped the ball on leadership, certainly in that moment. And so consequently, they start passing it off. He passes it off to her. She passes it off to the serpent. And as I said, on the, on the surface, all, both of those things are true, 
But that's motivated by guilt. And friend, that's what guilt will always do. Hear me now. Guilt is, not, is never, ever from God. Guilt is never from... He doesn't do guilt. Find that in the scripture for me. He does not do guilt. The enemy does guilt, and the enemy motiv- motivates us with guilt into things that are, aren't true and, are, and that are deceiving not only for us, but for those around us. And so guilt was the motivator to start passing the buck. It was her fault. No, it was the serpent's fault. Well, as I say on the surface, both of those things are true, but guilt is what wants us to pass the buck and push it on down rather than what Adam should have done. said, yeah, I did. Should have said no. Didn't say no. Eve should have said, yeah, I'm guilty. The serpent tried to deceive me, but I knew better. I knew you put the tree in the middle of the garden, and in verse two, in chapter 2 said, told us, don't eat of that tree. Let that tree go. Everything around is all yours except that one thing. Let it go. I knew I should have. Both of them should, should have and could have had the opportunity to own up to what they did, but guilt motivated, motivated them to find a scapegoat, to find something or someone else to blame, and it always does that. That's why the work of Christ at the cross is so important because he, being guiltless, took our blame so that we, who were guilty, didn't have to pay the price. Let that sink in for a moment. Guilt motivates us to do usually a lot of bad things. But he who was guilt-free died for your sin and my sin so that we who are guilty and should pay, should, should have paid the price, says no cost to you, all because the guiltless one died for the guilty. Uh, it's, there, there's, there's so many parallels between, between Adam and, and, and the Lord Jesus. But anyway, that whole idea that, that, uh, that we could walk away guilt-free is uh, what an incredible blessing that is. So the point is this. If you've dropped the ball, Confess it. Own up to it. Be honest with him about it. He already knows it anyway. He knows the motive of your heart anyway, the scripture says. So confess it to him. Repent of it. Or, or if you can, by repentance, what I mean is correct it. Head, head a different path. If it's involved someone else, go to them and apologize. Say, I've, I've dropped the ball. I've wronged you. I may not have intended to do it, but I did it. I apologize for it. Face up to God. Face up to others and deal with the, with the, with the forgiveness of it and live in victory. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, God has already forgiven those things. Your problem and my problem is we can't forgive ourselves of them. And that's entirely the work of the enemy to say, this is who you are. This is who you're always going to be. God says, that's not who you are. I'm looking through the, the lens seeing a redeemed you, a perfected you, a glorified you. Not the you that the enemy wants you to think you are. Uh, move, move from it and live and walk in victory instead of the defeat of, of uh, the guilt that comes from it. Finally, Drop balls begin with deception. They often feed what we think we want. Uh, they usually find something or someone else to blame. But finally, drop balls are never, ever worth the cost. They're never worth the cost. Look at part of verse 13 with me. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. What is this you have done? He asked of her. In essence, I think he's asking, Now that you know more than you did, was it worth it? Now that you've experienced that, what you thought you was the, the brass ring that was unattainable to you, now that you hold it in your hand, was it worth it? Was that, was that act of disobedience worth it? Was that act of selfishness worth it? Was that act that centered around you and your life and your, your world and your needs and your wants, you, is that, has that been worth it? I think that's at the core of this, of this, what is this you have done, Eve? I think it's striking to the core of, Okay, now you hold it. Was it worth it? 
And we find in verse 7, she already admits that it wasn't and, and experiences that it wasn't. But uh, in, the mo- in those moments, the answer to that question is often yes. <laughs> or I'd never delve into that in the first place. So the, so the immediate answer may be yes, but backing, backing away and looking at this act, this decision, this, the consequence from, with a broader lens, most of us will say, why in the world did I go there in the first place? Why can I, why can I not see now or see then what I see now? Why could my vision, why, is it, why was it so impaired in the moment that I couldn't see God in any of that? And, uh, but when we widen the lens out, it, it's, it's never worth it. Adam and Eve couldn't realize that in the moment. Uh, but their sin, they couldn't realize this either, that their sin would lead to my sin and your sin. The fact that now we are born in brokenness. We are born with a bent to sin. We are born with a with desire of self-consumption, and, and as I've said a number of times, uh, babies come out of the womb, feed me, keep me warm, keep me happy, me, 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 me. We're born with a bent toward ourselves. That's because of this endemic nature that we're born with to, to feed ourselves and our own desires. It's a kind of a new normal, more or less. Listen to this passage from Romans chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in the condemnation for all people, also, one righteous act resulted in justification of life for all people. For just as though the disobedience of the one man, Adam, many were made sinners, also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, many will also be made righteous. There's so many parallels between Adam, the work of Adam, and the work of Christ that this story should resonate with us to say, what I think I want I know it's not good for me unless God has placed it in my life and has, and has ordained it for me. And my, my walking away from that is never, ever worth the cost. Uh, so the real answer to is it worth it is it never is. It may seem so in the moment, but it never is. And as we discussed last week, there's always fallout to drop balls in our lives to those oops moments. There's always fallout. We seldom see it up front or we wouldn't, we wouldn't step in, into that. We think, and the enemy tells us, and we believe it and buy the lie, it's just about you. Nobody else will know this. Nobody else will see this. Nobody else will be affected by this. And that's never true. And God, there's always a ripple effect to, to the drop balls and decisions we make that are not according to God's will in our life. And so if we can see that ahead of time, it's, it's far easier for us to look at them and say, no, not today. Uh, spit in the enemy's eye today and say, not today. Uh, for, for them, the... the their knowledge of good and evil was the tree in the garden. For you and I, we hold it in our hands. Uh, if we don't have the knowledge of good and evil, it's because we don't have the knowledge that's in this book. We can get our nose in here and see what God says about how we're supposed to live and the principles we're supposed to live by. It'll be far clearer and easier to recognize him when he comes, to recognize his ways, his temptations, his angles, his pursuits, his, the buttons he pushes, the, the, the ways he tweaks us. Be far easier to recognize when we know what the truth is and can spout it back to him and say, it's written, it's written, it's written, it's written. Leave me alone uh, or get behind me, Satan, as, as the Lord told the enemy in, in, the, in, the, in the wilderness. Uh, Adam and Eve perceived that they were in darkness when they were actually in the light. You and I oftentimes perceive we're in the light when we're actually in darkness. Uh, it's, it, is, it is desperately important that 
every man and every woman in this room know when to say no. And there are all kinds of ways in when to say no. In fact, our, at, our, at our men's uh, uh, gathering breakfast last time, we, we've been looking at this, this idea of a man in his traps. And last, last time's uh, last session's look was on pornography. We had some discussion around that idea and, and, and the fact that the new normal in our world, it, there's soft porn in about 7 out of 10 TV commercials you watch anymore that any kid can, can see. Uh, it, and it's the new normal. It's, it's, it's accessible. It's okay. It's, it's somehow, eh, we've kind of developed a, a numbness to those kind of things in our culture. And, and you and I need to desperately know when to say no, when to either change the channel or when to drop that channel from your channel lock or block it. <clears throat> or the things we allow into our hearts and minds, they're kind of, kind of music and, and cultural things we lie into our hearts and minds and into the minds of our kids. Uh, Doc and I had, had breakfast yesterday. We're talking some things about scripture memory and, and it amazes, it, it probably amazes you in this room, certainly kids, maybe some of us as adults. One song can start and we know the lyrics to every, every verse in that song that we grew up with. That's a, a song we like and we spout every lyric to it yet can't seem to find that verse when we need it or can't seem to find, get this scripture in mind when we, when we desperately when we would serve us well in a, in a moment of temptation or in a moment of sharing wisdom with somebody at work or a friend that's in need or why can't I remember that scripture but I can remember the words of the lyrics to a song from 50 years ago it, it is it is knowing when to say no and when to say yes knowing what to allow in and what not to allow in knowing that that uh, uh, of for women, when to say no to what they don't know. And for men, oftentimes, when to say no to what they don't have, what they don't possess. Knowing when to say no is vital. And, and I, I think it's, it describes this statement that I just left you with, is that Adam, Adam and Eve perceived they were in darkness. They really weren't. I mean, they had it all. But they were, uh, they were actually in the light. Uh, we perceive we're in the light when oftentimes we're in darkness. Now, the difference between those, those two places is often found and surfaced and sourced around guilt. We respond because we're guilty of this, that, or the other. And we stay paralyzed because we're guilty. We stay shelled and seated because we're guilty. We keep our mouths shut because we're guilty, because we couldn't say no. And guilt often, often finds itself weaving its way into our life, and it caused them, the Scripture says here, to cover themselves, guilt did, because they finally discovered, uh, <laughs> I've, I've, I've wronged. And now I, my own sin, my own, my own wrong has been revealed to me, and I want to cover my own sin up. I want to cover my own mistakes up uh, when anymore it's just life, as I said a moment ago. It's, it's the new normal we have, and, and it's been accepted. Uh, I want to encourage you as we, as we wrap this series up to don't just recognize your drop balls and leave them laying there. Don't leave them laying there. Go back, pick them up, redeem them. Apologize for them, both to God and if it affected somebody else, to them. And if it, if it affected a bunch of somebody else's, go to them, a bunch of them. Don't leave the, the drop ball dropped. Why? Because God always wants to use that for something redemptive in your life and glory to himself. Always. Every mistake, every failure, every drop moment, God has already forgiven you for them. That's what the picture of the cross is. He has already forgiven you for them and wants to redeem them and do something redemptive and life-changing, not only for you, but likely for those around you as well. 
so that they can see, man, if God can, can do something in their life from that failure, what in the world could he do with mine? And those stories need to be told again and again and again, transparently, honestly, uh, authentically, to say, this is who I am, but it's not who I was. This is what I used to be, but it's not what I am today. God has redeemed this failure, this drop ball, this oops moment in my life to say, I don't have to stay there. That doesn't define me. He defines me. And, and wants to use my story to bring glory to himself in a deeper walk and a, and a, and a, more, a louder, more resounding witness to those around me. Can we do that? Well, to do that, we've got to get beyond the guilt and get beyond the, the work of the enemy to say, he didn't really mean that, did he? I know he said don't need that tree, but he's, he knows you're going to be as smart as him. If you do, go ahead. Who's going to notice? Who's going to be hurt by it? Push the enemy back and let, uh, deeply know when to say no. It'll, it'll guide us in a lot of positive directions. Let's pray.